Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. One day there was a preacher and he was going around visiting some of his people and he came across this boy who was selling a lawnmower. So he went up to the young man. He says, well, how much do you want for the lawnmower? He says, well, pastor, I said, I just need enough money to, to buy a bicycle. The preacher thought about it. He says, well, $20 work. He said, I think I'd get a decent used bike for that. So he gave the little boy $20. And so then the preacher then went to pull on the cord to try to start up the mower, and it just wouldn't start. So the preacher said to the little boy, what's the, what's the deal with this? It won't start. The little boy said, uh, said, said Pastor, you've got to cuss it. He says, well, what do you mean you've got to cuss it? Like I said, you've got to cuss at it. And the pastor says, well, I've been a Christian a long, long time now, and I used to cuss, but I haven't done it so long, I forgot how to. And the little boy said, well, Pastor, he says, if you keep pulling on that cord, it'll come back to you. We're in Romans 7, and Paul talks about how sin comes back to us. Things that we thought were, we were past, things that we thought were long over, they start to re-enter into our lives. And if you're in a walk with Jesus, you're going to encounter this struggle, this civil war in your soul that goes between what you believe to be right, what you know is right, what you want to do by the Spirit of God versus what you want to do according to the gravitational pull of what the Bible calls your flesh or your sinful nature. How many of you, when you think about that civil war... You think about maybe January 1st, all the times you woke up and you said, oh, it's a new year. A new year, it's going to be a new me. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to serve more. I'm going to be more patient. I'm going to be more loving. I'm going to lose 15 pounds. And then by the end of the year, what happened? You gained 15 pounds. You know, you go to the gym. I mean, it's packed out in January and by September, it's a ghost town, you know what I'm saying? And you tried and you tried and you tried and it just didn't work. And think about, imagine this, it's the big game day, Michigan State and Michigan, they're playing each other and you've got the two fans of Michigan State, a Wolverine and a Spartan fan by each other and they're looking at the same thing on the field but they're having completely different reactions. One is cheering, the other is jeering. They're totally against each other. They're not looking at each other. They're responding in very different ways. And secretly inside of their hearts, they are wishing for the untimely demise of the other person. Even though it's the same state, there's a civil war, isn't there? And in your soul, in your journey with Jesus, you will encounter this civil war. I think there's probably some of us, we look at our Christian journey, we look at our walk with Jesus, we think, you know, in, in several areas, I've got an A. 
several areas, maybe not an A, but I've got a passing grade. I'm, I'm doing really well. But maybe there's those couple of areas where you've got an F or a best a D and you're struggling and you're disappointed and you look at your failures and there's a civil war that's going on with your soul and you've got this struggle and the Bible teaches us that this struggle that we have is real. In fact, it's Paul in Romans 7 we're going to look at today. Look at his confession by way of the screen. Romans chapter 7 verse 15. See if you can identify with what Paul says here. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. Ever like that? Don't understand the civil war and I don't fully feel like I'm in control. And so the question for us this morning is, how does the gospel address this civil war of the soul? How does it address this conflict between the right and the wrong that we war against? And I want to say this morning that Paul's fundamental message, as we're in Romans 6, 7, and 8, is that the gospel frees us from the inadequacies that we feel that come from our inconsistencies. The gospel looks at us and says, stop measuring yourself by the standard of your performance and your failures. Instead of keeping rules, focus on growing in a relationship. And the gospel frees us from that standard that bullies us, that dogs us, and that tears us down. So let's look at how it does that. Romans chapter 7 is where we're going to hang out. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me there. If you're using your Bible app, go ahead and click on to that. And if you don't have either, we're going to have scriptures by way of the screen. Romans chapter 7. Now by way of review, and I've been saying this every week, and I do so without apology, that the very core of the book of Romans is chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, that is by faith from first to last, as the scripture says, the righteous shall live by faith. The gospel tells us that everything good we receive comes as a gracious, loving gift of God. The gospel is not the diving board off of which we jump, but it is the pool from which we swim. We don't just begin with the gospel and then move on, but rather we go deeper into the gospel. And in chapters 1 to 3, Paul has talked about the problem of sin. Chapters 4 and 5, salvation that frees us from the guilt of sin. Chapter 6 through 8 is sanctification, how we then grow above the power of our sin. Chapters 9 to 11 is the sovereignty of God, his big overarching purposes for the Jews and the Gentiles. And chapters 12 to 16 is service. How then we take this and make it all practical in our everyday walks and realms of life. And so we're going to continue to journey through that as we're kind of halfway, nearly halfway through in uh, chapter 7. 
And we said last week that we are dead to sin. And that because of the gospel, the relationship, the identity, and the power that sin had over our lives is now dead. And that we become who we are. And when we realize that our identity to the old nature, to the old <clears throat> old problems and weight of sin has changed, it completely changes our relationship to how we think about our lives to righteousness. And then we ended in chapter 6, verse 14, if we could see this by way of the screen, where Paul makes this very intriguing statement, and it sets us up for where we want to go in chapter 7. In verse 14, Paul says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Lock into that. You are not under the law, but under grace. Your biggest struggle in your journey with Jesus, listen to me, it's not going to be with lust. It's not going to be with gossip. It's not going to be with alcohol or whatever ever vice might be out there in the world. But your biggest struggle and your greatest battle is going to be coming out from under the law and moving into grace. That is going to be the battle of your life. Now, what does Paul mean by the law? Well, the law technically is the laws that are in the Old Testament, which kind of have their summary in the Ten Commandments. And then there's other laws that come out of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But that's not exactly what Paul is referring to here. In chapter 7, when he talks about the law, he is talking about our reactions to the law that bring out our inconsistencies and that sense of inadequacy that we feel about our lives in following Jesus. So let me give you a definition by way of the notes. The law, as Paul is using it, I think could be called a guilt-based, it is a guilt-based Christianity. It is a guilt-based Christianity. I said several weeks ago that Brenda and I, since our daughter has went off to college, were empty nesters, or free-range adults, however you want to put that. That's not quite true, because I realize we do have somebody else in our home that we're taking care of. His name is Charlie. He's our pit bull mastiff. Oh, and he does require some attention, believe you me. But he's a wonderful dog, and he's big, and he's strong, and he's, he's this monstrous-looking dog. And, and I love it. Brenda had somebody came up to our door that she didn't know the other day I was gone and knocked on the door. She didn't know who it was and what was she doing. She just takes Charlie right there with, with her. And the people looking through the windows like, okay, I don't know if I want to come to this house. And that's why we love Charlie. He's great advertisement as he's looking out the window. Don't mess with this home. But when we take him out, he's, he's a very obedient dog, but he's very excitable. And once he gets outside with all of his strength and curiosity and inquisitiveness, he just wants to roam and smell and look at everything. And you want to take him out to do his business. He's on that leash, but it's always a tug of war. Charlie, no, over this way. Charlie, stop. Charlie, no, this way. Charlie, stop. And it's this tug of war, and it's, it's not real pleasant. 
And I know some of you are, you know, great with dogs or dog whispers, and you probably make it pretty easy, but Brenda and I haven't learned to do that. And for many of us as believers in Jesus Christ, we're on what we could call a law leash. We look at the commands of God, the standards of God, the things we want to do, read your Bible, pray, be patient, share your faith, love more, serve more, give more, be more grateful. And it's like this constant tug of war. We're battling and we're feeling guilty and we try to do it, but then it just seems to get away with us. And it's this constant struggle that we face. For some of you, for example, you've put in your mind that you want to pray more. I need to pray more. If I want to get closer to God, I need to pray more, don't I? So what do you do? Instead of praying about it, you just make up a plan, don't you? And you set your alarm. I'm going to get up 30 minutes early. I'm going to pray more. You set this standard, this law, this rule. And so you get up 30 minutes early, you're kind of excited that you're doing it, you get a little bit of adrenaline going on, and you pray. And that felt good, and then you do it the next day, and that's kind of good, but then Wednesday rolls around, and you're like, you know, this is getting kind of old. And so you are kind of loading up on a pot of coffee or something to pray for those things. And then Thursday rolls around. You find yourself more tired, and then by Friday, you're just grumpy, and you give up, and you say, ah, I can't do it. I failed. And you look time and time and time again that you have set up these rules, these laws, these standards that would make you a better Christian, and you have failed them, and over time, you even get to the point where you wonder, am I really a Christian? And sometimes Satan comes in, he says, look at all your failure." Are you really a Christian? Do you love? Do you follow Jesus? And Paul is telling us in Romans 7 that we've got to get away from all of that. And so he talks about the law. He talks about those things that show up our inconsistencies and inadequacies. And he tells us why God gave the law. All the do's and the don'ts of the Bible. All the rules and the regulations, the laws. Why, if we're not to follow those, then why did God give them? So let me give you three reasons this morning why God gave the law. Number one is this. The law clarifies sin. It clarifies sin. Chapter 7, verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sinful? Certainly not. Nevertheless, I would not have known what sin was had it not been for the law, for I would not have known what coveting really was if the law had said, you shall not covet. That's the Ten Commandment. Don't covet, it's wrong. Paul says, I wouldn't have known that it was wrong. I wouldn't have clarified that that was evil, that was wrong in God's sight had God not given that commandment. You think about coveting, it's, it's an attitude of the heart rather than an action of the body, isn't it? Your friend, they get this awesome car, and you look at the car and you say to your friend, that's a really nice car. You're not coveting, that's a compliment. You like the car so much, you're like, I'd like to have one of those cars. So you go and buy one like it. That's not coveting, that's copying. Nothing wrong with that. But then you look at that car and now you hate your friend because your friend has that car and you don't. And you're jealous and you're envious. That's coveting. God gave the command to say that's sinful. You're counting the blessings of others rather than your own, the ones I've given to you. 
You can't be happy today because you don't think you can be happy until you get that tomorrow. And God says that's wrong. And so the law shows us that's wrong. That's not according to my standard. Imagine you've got this full-length mirror. And in this full-length mirror, it kind of traces the ideal image of what you should look like. And every morning you stand before that mirror and you see the ideal image. But then that mirror shows you the real image of where you're at. And you're thinking, you know what? Those love handles really need to go toward my biceps. This is going to look the way it should. And that's what the law does. It shows us this is right. This is the ideal. This is what should be. But this is what you're not. So it clarifies sin. Number two, the law causes sin. The law causes sin. Verse 8, but sin seizing the opportunity afforded by the commandment produced in me every kind of coveting. Look at this, the law produced something. For apart from the law, sin was dead. Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. What does it mean that the law causes sin? There's a universal human principle, and it is this. Prohibition increases desire. Tell me what I am not to do, and guess what? I want to do it all the more. Tell me what I should not do. Put the fence, put the barrier around, and say, don't do this, don't go here. Then guess what? I want that all the more. It's kind of like when you're walking by a building or something, and it's got this sign on it. It says, wet paint, do not touch. And guess what happens? People touch it. You're walking beside the grass, and nobody would have ever thought to walk on it, but it was cut or whatever, and they put this sign on it. It says, do not walk. And now because there's a sign on there, people are walking on it. They wouldn't have thought about doing that had there not been a sign. I love the stories of a museum. They had this great antique furniture that was so valuable, and they put a sign on it, do not touch. The curators of the museum saw that, that the furniture was becoming more and more soiled as people were touching it. So they came up with another idea. Instead of putting do not touch, they said, wash your hands after touching. And that apparently was more effective. So the law causes sin, but then the law condemns sin. The law condemns sin. Speed bump down to verse 13. Did that which is good then become death to me by no means? Nevertheless, in order that sin might be recognized as sin, it used what was good to bring about my death, so that through the commandment sin might become utterly sinful. God said, don't do this. This is wrong. And we rebel against it. And it shows that in our original sin, in our nature, we are rebellious against God, that we are separated from Him, that we don't want to do what we should. And thus the law condemns sin. The law is like the light in a room that exposes the dirt, but it leads us to the gospel which cleans it up. The law is like that thing that reveals the crookedness in our lives, but the gospel is that which comes and straightens that crookedness out. 
The law reveals the power of sin in my life, but it is the gospel that gives me the ability to overcome. And so, my friends, if you are living by the law, if you are living by rules and standards, if you are living by regulations, if you're out of that motivation that I've got to do something to be better before God, to be more loving and acceptable, then you will be on the merry-go-round of inconsistency. You will be dogged by the civil war and you will never experience the continual growth that the gospel of grace will bring into your life. And Romans 7 is written to us to let us know that Jesus has set us free from that standard. Chapter 7, verse 1. Let's move back up. Go in reverse here. Paul talks about the law and he gives the analogy of marriage. He says, Do you not know, brothers and sisters, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has authority over someone only as long as that person lives For example, by law, a married woman is bound to her husband as long as he is alive. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law that binds her to him. You are married to the law. You are stuck with the law. You are bound by the law. You are condemned by the law. And there was nothing you and I can do to get out from under the law. Imagine this woman. She finds the perfect catch. He's the perfect husband. She is so excited to be dating him. He looks perfect. And they get married. And guess what his name is? It's Mr. Law. And they're married now. And once they're married, her dreams are come true, but it turns into a nightmare because Mr. Law, though he is perfect, though he is completely wise and right in every single way, he is also rigid. And so the next day of their marriage, Mr. Law looks at his wife and he says, I want you to do this and not do this. I want you to be this. Here's what I want you to accomplish. Here is what you need to do. Here is what you need to be. And then his wife says, yes, that's all right and that's all good. Yes, I will promise to do and fulfill everything that you're telling me to do. And so he goes to work and she goes on her way. At the end of the day, he evaluates how she's done and she has failed in so many areas. At points she succeeded, but at other points she hasn't. And so he scolds her. She admits she's wrong. She promises to do better. And then he gives her more instructions. And then the next day, and then the next day, and then the next day, she tries, she tries, she tries, she promises and promises, but she could never live up to the standard of Mr. Law. And over time, she regrets that she has married this most perfect man. And she would love to get out of the relationship, but she can't. And Paul will be in Romans here. He's telling us <laughs> we're out of the relationship. We're not married to Mr. Law anymore. Look by way of the screen. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. As Paul talks about what Jesus has done in relation to the law. Paul writes, he says, When you were dead in your sins, you had no hope, and in the uncircumcision of your flesh... God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins and having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. So the law condemned us. He 
has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. All of the failures and all of the disappointments and all of the ways that we have messed up, Jesus went to the cross and He died for every single one of them so that you and I would not have to be measured that you and I would not have to look at our performance, that you and I would not have to keep score according to the standards of the law. And because of that, friends, you are not bound by keeping rules, but rather you are liberated and free to grow in a relationship with Christ. Does that sound good to anybody? Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Well, let's talk about how we take what we're learning on Sunday and apply it to Monday. Let me give you a couple of encouragements. Number one, you have a new relationship of obedience. You have a new relationship of obedience. Chapter 7, verse 4 of Romans, Paul says this, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another. Notice that word another. You might want to underline that. To him who was raised from the dead. That word another in the Greek, there's two words that can be translated for another. One is alos, meaning another of the same kind. The other word is heteros, meaning another of a different kind. The word there is heteros. You are married. You are now bound to someone of another completely different kind. Let's take that same woman who married Mr. Law. Now she's in a new relationship. It's Mr. Love. Mr. Love is perfect in every way as Mr. Law. He has the exact same standards. But he's very different. What predominates within his character and his heart is not the standards, but his kindness and his gentleness in his compassion toward his wife. Rather than being rigid, he is relational. And so Mr. Love is perfect in all of the same way, but he's different because now they have a joint banking account. In everything that Mr. Love owns, his wife owns as well. They're equal heirs. They're equal in every respect. And what is more important is that when the standards go out and they seek to have direction or goals or accomplishment, Mr. Love does it with her. He accomplishes everything right alongside. And when there's failures and when things don't go quite right, it's an opportunity to grow the relationship. And Mr. Love is looking about growth over time. And he's very different because it's not primarily about keeping the rules It's about taking those rules and growing in the relationship. Number two, you have a new reason for obedience. You have a new reason for obedience. What is the reason for obedience now? Is it keeping the law? Is it keeping standards? Is it making sure your performance is up to speed? No, look what it says at the end of verse 4, and these words are so powerful and precious. It says, in order that we might bear fruit for God. The standard now is not keeping a performance. The standard now is about the growth that comes internally to externally within our lives. And so what does that mean? When you look at a vine and you see the fruit that's on that vine, is that fruit thinking, okay, how are we going to grow? 
What can we do to produce more of us? You think of grapes that are on the vine. Do they look at themselves and say, how do we become more grapey? What can we do? They don't do that, do they? They don't talk. How do they grow? They grow by staying connected to the vine and receiving the nutrients that comes in the vine. And growth is a product not of effort, but of connection. And so you do not look at your growth and measure how you're doing in the Lord and your maturity by moments or days, do you? But rather you look at it through the years. Sometimes I'm with somebody and they're saying, Pastor, I'm failing here and I'm not doing enough here and I'm falling short here and I know I could do so much better. I understand that. I understand that. But look at where you were at last year. Aren't you doing this? And you weren't doing that? Hasn't God done this in your life and you weren't doing this, but now you are doing this? And do you think maybe next year it's going to be the same thing? That as you just keep loving Jesus and obedience, don't look at the moment, but rather look at the duration because growth is going to be determined through the years of your life. It's not about keeping rules. It's about growing in a relationship. Do you want to know how you can measure if you're growing in grace? It's when you begin to understand more of your need for grace. We don't start out in our Christian walk and saying, yeah, I need the gospel of grace. Yeah, I really need God's help. But then there comes a point where we've got it figured out and we can go from there. What will happen as you grow in your journey with Jesus, there will become a greater awareness in your maturity of your own inability to follow the Lord. And out of that, you will become more dependent upon grace as you grow in faith and humility. I look at my life and and I'd say, compared to the last five, ten years, I've grown I'm overcoming sin and temptations in ways today that I wasn't five or ten years ago. But do you know how that's happened? It's because I take my sin and my failure and I go to Jesus. And I just receive more grace from the cross. I depend less on myself and more on Him. It was John Newton who wrote the great song, Amazing Grace, And he was at the age of 83 years old. He had walked with the Lord and knew so much of God. And in his letters, he said this, We think growing in grace means getting to the place where we don't need grace anymore. But growing in grace means growing in our awareness of our need for grace. Lord, I need you more now than I ever have before. So folks, instead of putting yourself on just some type of treadmill where you just want to pray more, where you want to mark the boxes, where you want to say you got up, God, I'm praying more. You want to know how you pray more? By trusting Jesus more. By through the duration of your life when you're in those difficult spots and you've called out to God and you've depended upon Him and He has answered you. And out of that trust relationship, guess what happens? You want to pray more because He is trustworthy in a way that you are not and nothing else around you is trustworthy. And so prayer becomes the fruit of your spiritual growth. You want to become patient more. 
What do you do? Instead of counting to 10, do you count to 20? Or do you walk in the patience that God has given you? Or over and over where you should have, you should have given up on yourself and you went and you took communion. You have had other believers show you grace. You have come before God and you have felt the loving touch of His Spirit. And you become more patient with others because that's what you've received from the living God. You want more purity in your thinking. How does that happen? Maybe you need more accountability. Some issues you're struggling with in your thought or life or your eye gate, and that's okay. But that's not going to sustain you. Purity will come when you begin to experience the holiness of God. And in experiencing the holiness of God, you feel freedom and liberation. When you walk in lust, you feel bondage, addiction, and a lack of control. And more and more you say, God, I want the fruit of freedom. I want the fruit of of this place of dependence that I have that is gaining me self-control. I want to ask the worship team and our prayer team to come forward. And if you need prayer this morning, they'll be over to the left side of our sanctuary. They can pray for any area or any concern that you may have. But I want to invite us to stand and I want to read this story as we prepare to sing and worship. The story is told of a man who lived alone in a small town. The man took in a boy who had become an orphan and didn't have uh, any place to go. And over time, the man grew to love the boy as his own son. One day, the man's house was engulfed with fire and the boy was trapped in the house And the man fought desperately to save him. The man managed to save the boy's life, but in the process, his hands were badly burned. Sometime later, some distant relatives of the boy showed up in the town demanding to take custody of the boy. The case went to trial, and the judge asked the man if he had legal papers to prove that he had adopted the boy. The man replied he had none. Then why should I let you have custody of the boy, the judge asked. How do I know that you will really love and care for him properly? And the man held out his scarred hands, and the judge ruled in his favor. Am I a Christian? Am I loved by God? Does God care for me? This morning as you worship and sing, remember the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. That's all the proof you need.